this episode's guest came here from India with nothing but two bags. He attended the Indian Institute of Technology, which is essentially like MIT in India, got a PhD in aerospace from Stanford University, and has hundreds of research papers and a couple patents to his name, Barendra Pasad, also known as Byron. So, so what, what are these? Well, these are like some of these things. Uh, I, I started a f- society called International Society for Productivity Enhancement mm-hmm. that launched a journal called International Journal of Concurrent Engineering and Applications um, that was founded in 1991 and is still, I'm managing editor and it's, it's being so published. you're still managing it? Yeah, uh, so it's published from uh, 1991 till now, mm-hmm. so it has been uh, around 25 years in publication. So how old are you now? And I'm 70 plus. Yeah. I, I started my career at Stanford University uh, in 1973. I came mm-hmm. here with two bags, as usual, and, um, and I started my education uh, as a degree in um, engineering at Stanford. Uh, I took a lot of courses. I finished uh, my coursework in about two years. And thereafter, my, uh, my advisor moved to um, Chicago, and then I have to move with him. Yeah. And then I finished my PhD in Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago oh, so, in so, 1975. So it took me about four years to mm-hmm. finish two degrees, degree of engineering and a PhD. So, so this, was, this was grad school? Yes. So where did you go grad- for, where did you go for, for undergrad? undergraduates? I went to uh, Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur in India. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the, the big one, Kanpur. Yeah. So I was a graduate. You know, IIT Kanpur is considered to be one of the uh, great institutions uh, compared with MIT and and mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, so they are very good schools. I had a great foundations, and I guess best because of that, I have been able to succeed. Uh, in my life and uh, contributed to the society quite a bit. So for for like people not from India, people who don't know what IIT is, how would you describe IIT? Well, IIT uh, is a uh, institution which has a diverse class of students, very high in engineering and technology area, and, and not so much in the social science and geography and other things and liberal arts. So they are, I would describe them to be high-end IT type of people who really uh, do a very innovative, very creative, and, uh, and they have a lot of uh, uh, innovative abilities to do new things and, and new systems. And that's why I was able to succeed in trying to publish a number of uh, technical papers. I have to my advantage about 250 technical papers published in journals. I am a managing editor of a international journal of concurrent engineering, which has been uh, in publication for roughly about 26 years. I'm still the uh, editor in chief of the journal. And uh, I feel like uh, when I graduated from Stanford, I felt as if I only got the means to succeed. In order to succeed, you have to uh, figure out yourself what is most important for you and for your careers. 
And so I decided to be more um, uh, research oriented. Lot of lot of people are not research oriented. They like to just start a job and start making money. For me, it was not something I wanted to do. I wanted to concentrate more on creating some innovative ideas, building some prototypes, and, and trying to create new solutions which are good for the society and for the emerging for the emerging uh, populations which we have today. Have you watched Three Idiots? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> so, is that is that would you describe IIT as something like that? Yeah, yeah. The, you know, IIT. Uh, there's a difference between Three Idiots is a movie which has uh, its own uh, way of uh, twisting the um, the importance of. Uh, I mean, they are showing the something like very leisurely people mm -hmm. there who don't really worry about, but they have the mind and they can do whatever they want, but uh, they were not very uh, uh, focused. Mm -hmm. However, IT people are very focused. They do really uh, um, concentrate on a study and, 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 and try it, and they have a great knowledge. They impart a lot of knowledge to these students and they do very well. So there's this quote at the, at like, that he repeats, the main character repeats the movie, which was like, in translating to English, it's like, uh, like go after, like don't go after success, go after excellence, because then like success will chase you with its pants around its ankles. Yeah, yeah, so, like, yeah. That's true, and and I I think I think there is a two side of that. Success requires experience, and if you don't have the experience, you need to acquire the experience. And in order to acquire the experiences to succeed you have to be practical. Mm -hmm. So that's the other side of it. You can't just uh, imagine that by having the book knowledge, you will be able to succeed. So that's the another side of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, exercise. That's why, if you remember, they created a, um, uh, uh, what is that? There, there, there is some kind of a module which flies, mm -hmm. if you remember in the movie. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and they had um, they had the idea of building them but uh, as you know, they try a few times and they succeed. So the, that's the creative part of it. Failures are the pillars of success. Mm -hmm. So you got to uh, keep on trying until you succeed. And that's the secret of life is no one can uh, are born smart. They all have to have the essential background, which is like, like a degrees you have. And after you have a certain level of degrees, you need to build upon the knowledge which which is required in order to go to the next step. So, so you you feel like Stanford really helped you with this, right? Yes, so Stanford was a great school. I had a, a very good background, and that provided me foundations to build upon. Uh, and and thereafter, I did a, a number of publications. I I made the managing editor. I founded a journal. I was more research oriented, but all of those things I wouldn't have accomplished without the. Um, without the uh, success I achieve in Stanford and the educations mm -hmm. I got from IITs and other places. So, so what was it like going to Stanford? Like it's such like a, like all like the young kids want to go there now, especially California. It's like, what was it actually like going there? Well, Stanford is a, is a, is a great school. Uh, however, uh, as you know, very studious students go there. So you have to be, uh, uh, you have to be independent. You have to be. Uh, you can't just uh, uh, fool around and and uh, assume that you will succeed. So you have to be creative. You have to work hard. And and if you work hard and be creative, 
I think you will be able to succeed. You do have to have certain background in order to succeed. So for me, it was not a leisurely place for me. <laughs> I have to struggle a lot of the times. Um, I have to wake up like uh, sleep late in the night, wake up early in the morning, go to different colleges, take some tutorials, take some classes and all that stuff. And eventually by doing so, I was able to, you know, accomplish what I wanted to do. But, but it, took, it took us a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it built me a lot of uh, interest in myself about how to achieve those. And that was the lesson learned for us. Uh, for me, actually, that, that you just don't have to depend upon the book knowledge. You have to have some practical knowledge. And, and I got mm -hmm. some of those by building some prototypes when I was doing my mechanical engineering. What did you build? Well, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, developed an aeroplane, uh, which is a, like a, um, mili um, a small scale aeroplane. And I had the, uh, some of these uh, fuselage and, and, uh, and how we could able to package them. And there is a small motor, we had it. So it was kind of a creative way of, of building one of them. And, and that gave us what is required to build a system rather than the components. So it mm -hmm. was a systems knowledge. Mm -hmm. So what did you, where did you go after Stanford? Well, I, after Stanford, I, I found a, uh, a uh, you know, I, I, after I graduated from school, I went to uh, work for Ford Motor Company. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and thereafter, I was five years in research and developments, did a lot of work related to automotive design and components, then moved on to General Motors, uh, which is a electronic wing of General Motors called electronic data systems. I was there for about 16 years in Michigan um, and uh, did a lot of uh, uh, work related to computerized solutions uh, related to design and development of uh, vehicles and the vehicle components like engines mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I was the managing uh, I was managing all the people there. So it was not just the, me responsible for doing all of that stuff. Other people were also responsible. I was managing those people and doing it. I think the key part of that, when I went through all those exercises, I, I realized that, that the book knowledge we got from Stanford and other places have a minimal use when it comes down to doing practical stuffs. And that's where I started doing a lot of my own research to figure it out how to get to the new areas in the innovation mm -hmm. uh, because the book knowledge only provides you the baseline and that's like a foundation and then you have to build upon the foundation some of your ideas and some of the informations are distributed in journals and books mm -hmm. and papers and then you have to combine them so yeah okay i see yeah, yeah. So, so you do like a lot of publications and like i see you have a lot of awards here like what are all what are all these well you know when i started it um, uh, i i I started a society, which is called the International Society of Productivity Enhancement. Mm -hmm. At that point of time, there was a computer-aided design and computer-aided manufacturing. Like how would you be able to build a car using computers? Mm -hmm. was on a, on, a, on a very high scale. Yeah. People were talking mm -hmm. about it. So I went into that field, and then we started a journal called uh, 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 Concurrent Engineering Research and Applications Journal which is kind of a journal which uh, talks about how would you able to pull a team of people together to build something. And, and that requires 
there are many ways of doing it. You can put those people in serial one after another. You can do things like in sequence, mm -hmm. but then it takes more time. So what was happening in the automotive industry, it used to take five years to build a car, mm -hmm. right? And so in five years was too long. And, and the way why it was taking too long, because people were doing first a conceptual design, then they're doing a detailed design, then they were doing a prototyping, then they are doing a production planning, manufacturing, and then productions. And all they are doing is like passing or passing like was silos. One, one department was not talking to the other department and the second mm -hmm. department was not talking to the third departments. So they were passing information back and forth by, by having to release the memo and all that stuff. Things change. When I went there, I started a, a philosophy of teamwork. How could you able to pull the people from different disciplines and, and put them into a room or a place where they can work together? and collaborate you know it's and, funny and i just got into this uh to this topic like uh i gave like a talk like i and there's like this book um that one uh, like one of my like my principal at school recommended to me like it's about like having being like having range like having multiple disciplines yes like whether it's like multiple people but also having like you having like multiple disciplines and being able to combine that or like integrate that in the workplace so you're saying like when was this this was the 80s yeah, yeah, it was like we we were <laughs> pretty much it was like a early nineties. Uh, if you know the story about the automotive industries, General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler were the three big uh, automotive companies. They started losing the marketplace because Japanese people were invading in terms of building the car and producing them at a cheaper and and, and less costly and more quality. The quality was very high. So we were dumping all the cars in the, um, in the American market and the Ford was losing, losing the market, General Motors was losing it. And at that point of time, they started looking into how they could able to collaborate and do more for less. How, how are the Japanese able to get better quality at a cheaper price? Like how come they were able to do that? Yeah, they were able to do it because they were using uh, this philosophy which I'm talking about is... Uh, uh, something called lean product development. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you heard about the yeah, word yeah, lean yeah. product development. Yeah. The whole idea of a lean product development is how could you able to do more for less? And there are many ways of doing skinning the cat. You know, in this case, they would be able to pull the team of people and, and, and their idea was very simple. Instead of having to start from scratch, whenever the car is built, they start from scratch. Okay, here is a 20, um, uh, 2019 model. Okay, start from conceptual design, build the detailed design, do all that uh, life cycle process which you require to build a car. That process, if you do them in serial order, it takes a long time. So the idea there was, and that's why uh, General Motors and Ford capitalizes upon is, is that instead of having to look at these different sequences, why don't we build the modules, modules for one engine module. There are five different types of engine modules. There are five different types of interiors. There are five different types of exterior of the car. There is a five different types of wheels. And then put it on the shelf. Okay, so when the time comes to build that 
2019 models, instead of having to develop each one of them individually, why couldn't we just plug it, plug those ones which is already ready to go, plug those models into the sequence and then try to build them, the whole systems. So they were developing component-based solutions and there is a number of solutions they were developing and they were trying to pipeline these solutions one after another in an order which, which try to make a new system out mm -hmm. of it. Okay, so as a result was a new system which is much better than what it was before and could able to accomplish that in less time because this technology they were talking about building modules and putting it on the self until you require them. This, you know, this so they were trying like, to... Yeah, this sounds a lot like the, the philosophy. Like, this sounds like the innovation of interchangeable parts like yes. during the Industrial Revolution. That's right. So this is just taking it to like the next level. Yeah, it was... And, and it was not the interchangeable part. It was a part which you can build a lot of new technology mm -hmm. into each one of them. But these are the technology-based solutions which are put on the self depending upon if you want a four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive, all that stuff. They can plug yeah. in and plug out the whole systems and they can build the whole system. That's why today, as you can see, a car is built in about 15 months. Mm -hmm. It used to take five years, 60 months. Now it has been boiled down to 15 years. So think about it. It's a three times, yeah. uh, you know, uh, cut down on the, on the time it takes to build it. Even now, 15 months is being cut down to about a year now. You know, people mm -hmm. are trying to figure it out how to do it. And, and the three ingredients of making it possible was this philosophy of, of creating module-based solutions. And then the second was a teamwork. And the third was the concurrent engineering. Mm -hmm. They were trying to build things instead of a serial fashion, one after another. They are now trying to run things in parallel. When one, one, one of the system, one of the component is not even finished, you take the requirements and plug in into the second one, and the second one is not even finished. You start the third one and fourth one and fifth one. As a result, the, the, the total time it takes is lower because there is overlap mm -hmm. between those different processes. So, then, so now it, So what do you think of Tesla? I, I think Tesla is a is a great company. They have adopted to a number of these concepts which I'm talking about. On the top of that, I think the Tesla is more concentrated on electrical mm -hmm. uh, and, and the battery, battery powered vehicles. And they are looking into some of the technology which are uh, going to be in the marketplace, such as the um, self-driving cars, um, you know, and, and a lot of safety oriented um, uh, features which they have. So there's still car is a car is a car. They still have to build the baseline Every car has to have a four wheels. Every car has to have an engine and a, and a you know, a steering wheel and, and um, you know, all those uh, components which is required. The difference there is now it is more lightweight. It is, uh, uh, has a lot of technology-based solutions. A, a lot of electronic parts are built into it, which makes the things more last longer and all that stuff. And it's all because of the technology being available today. Yeah, especially Silicon Valley. Sounds yes. like the Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah, they're, like, they're utilizing yeah. the uh, uh, advantage of the Silicon Valley as mm -hmm. well because they are now located in San Francisco area. Mm -hmm. So then you we were for uh, aerospace after after Ford, right? Yes. Then I came from Ford Motor Company. Then I joined uh, Parker Aerospace. Um, 
which is one of the tier uh, 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 supplier for Boeing. Mm -hmm. And I was involved into uh, basically carrying out what I learned in the automotive industry, but doing it for the aerospace <laughs> company, like a lean product development. Mm -hmm. So we built a, a number of solutions for which I got a number of awards. Um, I got a two patents already uh, from, from whatever I was doing. And you probably know, uh, uh, I don't know whether you know about the Parker is involved into um, more developing safety oriented parts, control parts. Mm -hmm. And when the plane takes off, as you know, the flip opened up and closed, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 those, flaps. yeah, flaps. Those, the muscles which opens and closes the flaps is Parker's design set. Ah, and yeah. I was involved into, in fact, innovating how to build those uh, components in less time. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there is something called the manifold and actuators are the two parts, which which uh, actuators is more like a muscle mm -hmm. which pushes in and out. Mm -hmm. It's like a telescopic things. Mm -hmm. Now, now what I did was with the help of computers and, and lean product developing concept, I created a, a, a computer based solution which can take the requirements from Boeing and, and pass that requirement into the software system. Mm -hmm. And the software systems gives you a solution, which is an act design of the actuators and manifolds. And that used to take about nine months. I downsized to three months. Now. <laughs> so now you can build the whole systems. And you know, any manifolds are not the same. There's nothing like a, a parametric uh, part they, they are. They are like each is a unique part. And I could able to do that. And now that is turned over to my colleagues um, at Parker. So now I, I mean, I left Parker, but I think they are now able to, they're utilizing my system to build now those components for the Boeings. So have you heard of like, have you heard of like the, like newer concept technology where they're thinking of like, um, like you, obviously like the, what was it? The supersonic um, jet, yeah. which one was that? Um, you you mean the the one which is uh, can fly overseas? For, yeah, yeah, the one that flies from New York to yeah. in London in like London. three hours. Which, yeah, what yeah. Was the, what was the name of that? I don't remember right now. It's but just, yeah. um, but like they're like having a concept um of like having supersonic flight like um be like a reality. I think that the Mac Mac two or three is the, the one they had it, which is, is requires um. Like Moth, Moth two or three, yeah. Because there's this, there's like a curve, like right, like there's a curve. Um, like the the faster the plane goes, like the more like um, like the resistance increases, like an exponential rate. Right, right, and exactly like, right. And then when you get up to like Mach eight or Mach ten, like ten times the speed of sound, then like you have problems with overheating, right? Like that's the, exactly right. The friction. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and they have. I I I was not part of. That oh, Concord, Concord. That's Concord, what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was not part of the development of those um, those type of planes. Most of my planes was passengers, mm -hmm. passengers planes. But you're right. Uh, they, there's a lot more skill required in mm -hmm. order to build um, Concord. Yeah. Um, which is which has a mic. More, I think the mic is probably more than. Three or four or five, I don't remember exactly. I think it was Mach three, but uh, but Concord like, so there that was like decommissioned because like yeah. it wasn't economical. It, because right? it like also it was, makes a lot of noise. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. That too. That's so also, it can, it because can do, like, it, because if you are in the neighborhood, it's like a so boom boom noise. It's very hard unless they figure it out a way of uh, minimizing the noise it makes. Mm -hmm. 
then it could be a practical. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the big bad part of the. Yeah. Even though the fastest yeah. was, but the bad part was it was very noisy. Also, it wasn't economical. Like it was. Like it was the, exactly the cost right. was too much. Cost like, was too much. Only like like business passengers would rather like just sleep overnight on like the business class flight, have Wi-Fi, like rather than like take like two hour flight. Yeah. No, that that. But I, they're trying to build it a, a new system. I heard mm. that, which may allow them to renovate what they have done in the past and unable to overcome some of these uh, uh, pitfalls they mm -hmm. have discovered. And as a result, it probably would be able to be a viable solutions. I don't mm -hmm. know uh, much about that right now, but I think yeah. they, they, they are they are looking into it. Have you heard of like, have you heard of like Elon Musk's idea, like to have like, have like a rocket like launched into space and then yes. like just like come back down to earth like yeah the reusable like, they call launch vehicles they call it reusable mm -hmm. so as you can see a lot of the launch um uh, you know whenever they just stage two and stage three uh, space mm -hmm. vehicles so what happens is when you are uh, when you're launching a rocket there is a stages yeah. and the the stages one stage it it go falls into the um, that boosts up the rocket mm -hmm. speed and that once they break that stage one is finished, that stage one goes into the sea, yeah. goes into the water, and, and then you can't reuse, reuse them. What, what Elon Musk was, has done is that he has created uh, reusable uh, uh, those uh, rockets, uh, stages. Those boosters. Boosters. Like come back down. They like can come back down, and then they, they can recycle them, and they can reuse them for the next one. Mm -hmm. So as a result, there's a lot of cost savings. So how like how big of an innovation is this? Like I think that's a great innovation because they, it probably saves millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly how much that would be, but I think things like that. And that's one of the things I would say reusability, you know, is, is one of my contribution also. When I was uh, looking into uh, 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 developing my uh, uh, design for the automotive components, we were looking into how to capture the knowledge and reuse the knowledge for the next, for example, anything. Let's, let's take, for example, you're talking about, um, um, uh, you know, a, a building a small um, uh, systems, uh, you, you name it, what could be a small systems which you would like to use. Maybe uh, uh, I would say, um, um, without thinking much, say, say for example, a mouse mm -hmm. is, is, is something like that. A mouse is a mouse is a mouse which you use for driving your computers. What would be a uh, what would be the ideal if I could able to capture the knowledge of how this mouse has been designed and developed, and if I can capture those knowledge in a way, reusable way, so that when the next part comes in, which are different than the one I have the system knowledge would automatically reconfigures a new solution for me based upon the previous knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that is becoming a big thing nowadays called so, the knowledge captures and reuse. Especially with artificial intelligence, I'm assuming. Yes, that's, that's one of the elements of, our, of, of that is to build a new system, mm -hmm. utilize AI. Now AI is a, a part of the knowledge. You know, the knowledge has a several uh, uh, steps involved. Artificial knowledge is the one which extrapolates a little bit more into the artificial side of it. What I was talking about, the realistic knowledge, the knowledge which you can capture in rules. If A is greater than B, 
and B is greater than C, then A is greater than C. Mm -hmm. That type of knowledge. So it's a knowledge which are built upon these rules, and you can put those rules in a manner, you know, uh, object-oriented fashion, so that once you have that knowledge captured, you can reconfigure a new design simply based upon those knowledge. Mm -hmm. And those are also being used in the medical science now. As you probably know, a number of the number of the things which are being done in medical science are pretty much is an art, mm -hmm. and a lot of the doctors, for example, had that kind of knowledge, right? Yeah, they had the knowledge of suppose you go and see a doctor, they will ask you ten questions, you know, uh, what is your temperature, what are your symptoms, they, you know, all that bio informations they ask you. Then they will ask you, you know, in terms of uh, what you do. Um, are you, uh, or do you have a pain or you don't have a pain? And based upon those symptoms, they do a diagnostic. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. Why couldn't we capture those, uh, based upon those symptoms, the solution which doctor is prescribing into a rule system? Say, for example, if they say, if you have, if you have a temperature is 103 degree and you are vomiting, there is some kind of a disease you are could be having. So if those rules are captured in a way, then you simply go to the system and, and put your symptoms, enter your systems, and mm -hmm. the system should be able to spit out, right? Yeah, yeah. What would be the possible three or four different scenario you may be suffering from? So have you heard, like, I haven't looked into it in a while, but like there's, um. Like they're using like different like they're using computer programs that like like take all this information and like um, so some so they actually have written programs that are more successful like at diagnosing like different types of cancer like yes. than actual radiologists are yeah 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 you, so, you this is being be actually I was uh, I was talking to one of these uh, chief executive officers for a startup company I went there and they were asking my interviewing me as to how would you build such a system mm -hmm. because they knew that. I have worked in that field, knowledge captures and reuse, but I have worked mostly applied to product developments, yeah. but this was a medical science field, but the rules are similar. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And once these rules are captured in a heuristic manner, heuristic means mm -hmm. it's not like a, uh, a complete solution, it's just a, a rule-based yeah. system. So once you build all of that stuff, we can replay you know, mm -hmm. the uh, pretty much those rules against the some of the symptoms you enter and the system would be able to predict to a very, uh, I wouldn't say it's 100% accuracy, but at least 80% there. Mm -hmm. how, you know, how much time saving you will have yeah. by yeah. having to figure it out to at least 20% errors or 5% or 10%, I don't depending upon how much knowledge you capture, it's a proportional to the knowledge you capture. If you have captured only 80% of the knowledge, you will get 80% of the result, you know, what, yeah. garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. But if you have captured a good set of knowledge through a number of doctors and put those knowledge in a database which can automatically figure it out based upon the rules, what the diagnosis would be, would that be a nice system to have? Yeah. And that's a lot of people are doing that. A lot of the startup company are now looking into it. So then that's like that's like the future, right? It's like yes. like so you have wearable technology. You have like you have like your Apple Watch or something like that. Like 
and then it's just tracking like all your symptoms. It's collecting data. Like this yes. knowledge is just data. Data exactly coming right. in from like dozens of different sources. Like all like like and then it's like say it's connected to your phone, so your phone has like the program. Yeah. It interprets that data. So then like it it can tell like you're having like a heart attack even before it happens, right? Yeah, like, no, I agree, you know. And there's a there's a different level of like knowledge is categorized. You talked about the data. The data is the lowest level of yeah, knowledge. Yeah. Data is like a, a point. Mm-hmm. It, has, it has no relationship. Like a bit, like a bit, like a one, bit. like exactly. yes or no, one or zero, just an answer to a yes or no question. <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's one point in the whole domain, mm-hmm. one point. But the relationship, if you built a relationship with one point to the other, then it becomes the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, that's, that's like connections. Like connections, that's how, that's exactly how, that's right. That's neurons work. It's yeah. a neuron. So you got to build a connection between a, a data, a couple of data. Data is the, it's like, a, you know, you can't make any sense out mm-hmm. of it. So give me a very simple example, a stock market. There's a lot of data. Well, this stock is high, this stock is low, this stock is going down. It happens every time. In any day, there is a thousands of data that's created. But but do you know which one to buy and when to buy them? No, because you do not have the relationship. If only, if only <laughs> you know? Exactly. So once these informations are discrete informations, they have no relationship between this stock. If Ford stock is going up, if the general stock will go up, there is no relationship. But if someone builds, builds such a relationship, if Ford is going down, will the General Motors stock will go up? Depending upon what situation can go up, all that relationship are built, then you could able to at least uh, make some sense out of it. And that's what I'm saying to you. So that's the knowledge. Knowledge is not there when you are doing in a stock market. It's just a gambling. Mm-hmm. You buy something because you like it. But if you had the knowledge of which stock will go up today, you could be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where the difference are. The datas are only a, 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 a point in the whole domain. The knowledge is the uh, power. If you have the knowledge, you are the most powerful person. <laughs> and that's, that's the key. Knowledge is power. So, exactly I was, right. so I, you said earlier, like, uh, like you're going to like schools like Stanford or IIT, it was like, like I think IIT, like they're both super selective. Like yes. IIT, like like how many campuses are there? like dozen or so campuses? No, the IIT like... now. When I was there in in nineteen sixty five, at that time only five IITs. Uh, IIT Kanpur was the best one mm-hmm. where I graduated from. But now today there are twenty IITs in India. So then, like twenty IITs, like hundreds, like millions of kids applying every yes. single year, but only like a couple hundred get into each, right? No, they, they, they're the entrance exam for IITs. There is about a million people appear in those exams. Mm-hmm. Out of a million, they select roughly about 10,000 students. That's, that's like, that's yeah. even crazier than Stanford. <laughs> Stanford <laughs> still takes 10,000 out of like, uh, out of 50,000. <laughs> could be right. Yeah. This is, this is crazy. You know, yeah. how much, I mean, they, they, these students work very hard and um, so it's, but of course, you know, their names and fames are built upon it. And, and yeah, like Google's CEO at the moment, Sundar Pichai, he's yeah, a, he's yeah. the IIT graduate. But he, he did metallurgy, didn't he? Yeah, he did yeah. metallurgy, but he's still doing well, yeah. you know, in terms of his knowledge, <laughs> you can see. Yeah. So it's not that what disciplines you come from, I think your foundation helps you yeah. in, in going uh, to places where you like to go. How, how helpful do you think like, going to uh, like going to like such a school like good school like 
what like helped you? How much do you think it helped you? I, I think there is a, uh, uh, the two sides of that is, if you to me really ask me at that questions. One is that going to a good school creates you a foundation of the knowledge you got mm -hmm. because those guys are, are the basis on which you can uh, succeed in life. The second things you get out of going to good school is the is the contacts you mm -hmm. develop, working with the professors and other kind, and that goes a long way in terms of you getting to places you like to go. Okay, that's the yeah. contact. And the third things you you get out of the going to school is the quality of education mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, uh, helps you build your knowledge because it's not just based upon the textbook. These professors have a, no, a lot of practical knowledge. They develop these solutions and systems based upon all of those. As a result, you would be able to get more out of having to go to a good schools. And, and there are many other subsidiary type of benefits, uh, which I'm not going to tell you much about, which everyone knows about it in terms of being a good colleagues and friends and all that stuff, which certainly help you also. Uh, you know, succeed in mm -hmm. life because they will mentor you and you could mentor them and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, so then like, uh, what's like your definition of success? All right. Very, very good questions. Uh, I, I, my definition of success is uh, uh, based upon three things. One is that you have to positively thinking you about yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to be thinking positively. You, you always think about what you have done, what can you do, and what you like to do. Mm -hmm. That's the positive thinking. The second thing you have to do is to believe in yourself. You know, I, I talked about the failures of pillars of success. So if you fail a couple of times, that gives you the foundations for you to succeed. Because that's an experience you gain as a result of that. So that's number one. The, th the third thing you need to do is to innovate yourself. Just like, uh, you know, uh, the computers are, you know, becoming outdated in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in about a year. You know, new, new uh, systems comes into play. Mm -hmm. Same way, you need to innovate yourself. If you, say, if you uh, feel like um, that I, I'm done, I don't want to learn something new, I don't want to uh, uh, take some classes to learn yourself, I think you fall behind. Mm -hmm. So that's the third thing is important for you to succeed. What are you learning at the moment? Well, for example, now since I have retired, I am not so much into my education type of learning, mm -hmm. but um, I try to build my own health. Um, for me, the health is most important today. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if I am, I'm already 70 and I feel like... Uh, uh, that in order for me to live longer and uh, enjoy the quality of life, I <clears throat> I need to think about my health as number one priority mm -hmm. because my priorities change. As you go along older, your priority keeps on changing. You first concentrate about your study when you're a bachelor, then you're married, then you worry about children, then you worry about their education, <laughs> then worry about the marriage and all this stuff. Now, since I have I've been already going through that cycle, my priority at this point of time is is the health and and taking care of my family. You know mm -hmm. all of those people, yeah, so I yeah. worry about uh, them also. 
but I feel like uh, I am, you know, I don't feel like I am that old. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, for example, I ran 10K mile into <laughs> one of the uh, uh, school and I got a first number one. I was the first runner in my age group. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> so, so just to give you an example of that, you need to, you know, to work harder. And, and try to do things. I go to for I go to exercise like a twenty four hour fitness. I went there today. I ran, <laughs> so did I. I ran five miles every day. I don't oh have five God. miles every day. And uh, my motto is that uh, that uh, uh, that if you are moving, your body will keep on moving. Mm -hmm. That's the key. If you are moving, your body will keep. It's just like Newton's law. Yeah. You might have heard about it. It's similar to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to give you a fourth Newton's law, but it's exactly true that if you keep on moving your body, your body will keep on moving you. Mm -hmm. And so you will be able to pace with your age. Mm -hmm. uh, if the moment you stop, like you say, well, I'm not going to do, I'm going to lie down, relax, do nothing. You know, at a certain point of time, your body will give up. Just like, a, you, you know, just like a, if you think about a uh, engine and uh, you don't use that engine, you know, just put it in like a car engine. Mm -hmm. You are in the garage somewhere. A couple of years down the road, the engine starts rotten. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, will have, uh, you know, and they will not be able to function. But if you keep on running the engine, you know, if you keep on giving you the, you know, what you're looking for, because they, they automatically gets tuned up. Same with your body is. If you give up, give up your body, your body will start uh, not functioning. Yeah. Because the body is like an engine, you know. You have, a lot, you have a lot of like fruit trees outside, right? Like, yeah, I have, I, I have in my I garden. I a lot of plants when I was coming. There's like plants yeah, yeah, everywhere. I have, I have all the plants, you name it. I have a guava tree. I have a palm grain tree. I have three palm grain pomegranate tree, sorry, pomegranate trees, uh, uh, two guavas trees. I have a lychee, uh, uh, Indian Leech food, I don't know. So I know. So, uh, so those are the, uh, and there I have a five oranges tree uh, in my you, backyard. Do you take care of all these yourself? I used to take care of it before. Mm -hmm. Now so much, I don't get much time. You will understand. When I'm retired, I don't get much time. But I do, <laughs> spend, I do spend some time on and off to take care of it like a trimming and all yeah. that stuff, but I don't need to do it every day. Mm -hmm. um, I do it, you know, a few, a week or two weeks later. So gardening is like a hobby. Uh, gardening is a hobby, but I have been doing that. And that's one of those things uh, I enjoy doing mm -hmm. it. It's mostly, you know, but right now, uh, you know, I'm not so much involved into gardening, but I think it's, it's, it's a great thing to have though, because then you enjoy your creation of, uh, when the trees grow up, for example, and it starts booming or giving flowers or, or giving fruits, then you see like what what exactly you accomplished. You know, there's mm -hmm. accomplishment. Yeah. That you started from something which was uh, a seed, and now you 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 put the seed into the soil, and then after that it became a you know a, a fruit trees. Uh, that's that's a great uh, uh, feeling that that you have been mm -hmm. um, you know, you able to accomplish. So I enjoy doing it and. Uh, I, I, I think my interest at this point of time is mostly, as I told you, is to um, take care of myself and my family. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the, in a certain age, the time goes, the priority changes. Yeah. And, and I think that's my priority right now. <laughs> do you think, uh, like, what do you think about like, uh, like kids these days? Like, have you heard of the, have you heard of the, like, there's like a, there's like a meme going around the internet, which is like, uh, okay, boomer. <laughs> it's like, um, so it's like, 
it's like some kids like my like my age like teenagers high school and college they're like they're like sick of like like the older generation like for example climate change yeah, yeah. like stuff like that so they're just like something like um so like the older generation will complain like oh like uh, millennials are doing this or like generation <laughs> c is doing this and then they're like they just say like okay boom it's like a whole it's this whole it's this whole meme but like what what advice do you have for like kids like teenagers like who are studying like what what, what are they and I, I think the i feel like the uh, kids today are much smarter uh, in terms of uh, they they value they value the um, uh, uh, climate change they, they feel like the climate change is the real thing and uh, they like to protect it as much as possible which is good things and uh, they are not looking at their own interests um, uh, rather than the interest of the entire uh, universe or, or the locality or, or even the society, which is a good thing. Uh, in the beginning, in the year, early ages, we, most of the times, you know, you kind of protect yourself into doing what is, because you have limited resources, so you need to live up with that. But the kids today, since they have, uh, they're not dependent so much on their parents, and that's the change uh, I see. So the kids have more time and resources to devote in other things, such as climate change, and sometimes they also um, uh, devote time in terms of technological knowledge they have, and they do a lot of other innovations and all, which is a good thing, and I like it. Uh, it it's, 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 uh, my advice to the kids would be keep on figuring out what, what really society needs, because the uh, needs are the mother of inventions. Mm -hmm. So if they could able to uh, figure it out, what might be the next generation of things they like to do and which might be on demand, they should, they should try to do it. I mean, there is no, there is a limitless, actu actually, the limitless um, opportunities out there in terms of what they can contribute to the society. And I, I believe that it's just the, uh, the matter of time. When, uh, when there will be time uh, when the, you know, when I was uh, growing up in early ages, I can talk about this story, very interesting one. I used to talk about when I had a phone at my home, a, a, mm -hmm. you know, a landline, <laughs> and then I used to say, how could I able to do a video call? You know, yeah. nowadays the video call, you can call from here to India or any part of the mm -hmm. world, and you can have a video call just like that in, in a few seconds, no operator requirement or anything like that. It's, it's a reality. I couldn't imagine it would have been possible to do it, um, uh, but now it's a reality. Same way, I think the car industry, you know, I am, I'm thinking that the next generation of car would be a flying car, hmm. which really? I think, really? yeah, because that would be a, um, a you know, nowadays the, the infrastructure is limited. You cannot keep on driving the car on a road and the mm -hmm. size of the roads is limited, the population is increasing. So just like anything else, uh, the the next generation would be the innovation would be would be something of the sort of flying car and I'm, people are looking into it but it may not happen because there is a lot of rules and regulations and requirements has to be put into place but that's where I think people should concentrate out of the box idea yeah. things which which is not possible today but could be possible in future and they could able to do it how many patents do you have? Oh, I have three patents already. Mm -hmm. um, the, the one I just got April of this month, actually, that oh, wow. was filed about <laughs> five years ago. Mm -hmm. But when you get a patent office, yeah. uh, uh, they takes about a few years to come up. 
and so that's the uh, my last uh, the, the last patent is but that was a very interesting patent that's a patent which was when i was working for parker aerospace uh, they filed a patent actually i created a, an innovative solutions i don't know whether you know about it but uh, I, I, you must have flown the airlines uh, in the first class have mm. you yeah, yeah okay so in the first class compartment you can see there is a small area which which they give you mm -hmm. right where you have to sit in next to somebody else like a two seater <laughs> so but not then, small compared to coach yeah right coach is even the smallest <laughs> one but i'm talking about the first yeah. class compartment so the idea there was how could i able to maximize the comfort and pleasure of the first class passengers with the limited space so that they can able to have a better leg rooms better comforts and the and the better experience of mm -hmm. flying so i came up with this idea which is now a patent uh, and uh, the idea was why couldn't we instead of having to have a, a arm which you hold mm -hmm. to eat something why couldn't we put a portable table in the middle mm -hmm. okay instead of a arm and the portable table is is put on a wheels which can uh, can be docked at the end of the fuselage mm -hmm. okay so the so you can use the table for your work table for your computers like if your laptop you hook up to the laptops you doing your laptops if you are done with the laptops then then what happens there is a slit in the middle i have a patent on that there is a slit in the middle you push a button and a tv comes out from <laughs> the slit so now you can you don't have to have a terminal you simply have to you know connect them mm -hmm. and then you can do all the calculations and whatever mm -hmm. you need to do everything or you can watch the movie mm -hmm. entertainments mm -hmm. and everything else. And, and if you don't want to watch it push another button it hides inside the table so so when did, so when is this going to be in the airlines i think it will take another three to five years before that becomes a reality mm -hmm. but it is going to happen Mm -hmm. And it is my patent. <laughs> I want to let you know that. <laughs> and and not only that, the other side which I which you don't know is not just the, the is a portable table which is which is on a wheel. It does not fly because the wheel is is has mm -hmm. a, a rail yeah. at the bottom, so it gets docked down at takeoff and landing. For example, it's already docked in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's completely secure. You can't move it. Once you are at a, uh, a twenty thousand um, uh, height, twenty thousand yeah. miles height, when it is safe and horizontally is moving, then you can push a button and the table slowly comes in front of mm -hmm. you. Has three stages. You can stop them wherever you want, and there is a recliner which reclines back to you, and you can have it in the middle. There is a portion which reclines at the front. You can bring it to them, or you can use that for eating functions. Right now, you know, a lot of the times you, for all of those dinner or, or lunch, you simply have to take a plate or foils or everything. This is now a nice table for you or for eating all that stuff. And you are all done. For example, you don't want to eat. You don't want to do anything. You want to sleep. You push a button and a recliner opens up as a full bed. You have the complete area open for you. And now you can sleep and relax and, and have a good night. Was... And, and that's that's part and it's, it's not a rocket scientist 
I mean, think about it. You are a rocket scientist. I mean, <laughs> but I'm just giving you giving you a, a simple uh, concept which people hadn't thought about it. I was surprised. But now I package all the that, that into a very small uh, area and it's a module. So it's a built-in module. You, mm-hmm. you build it somewhere else and you install it. Mm-hmm. So it does not require um, people to, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a very innovative ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, they have got a lot of uh, um, uh, good reviews on what mm-hmm. I have done. And so I'm very happy about it. So one more thing like there's so like you went, you were talking earlier, like it's like there's like limitless to like how much like can be invented and stuff like, but uh, this is what I was looking at. There's this quote by uh, this guy named Charles uh, Duell. Um, he said everything that can be invented has been invented and he was the he was the commissioner of the US patent office mm. in 1899 really and back then <laughs> he said everything that can be invented has been invented yeah but clearly not yeah well of course uh, you know when when you are looking uh, 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 with a uh, with a uh, closure or with a blindfolded um, imaginations of course that's the answer you will get but when you are looking into a uh, uh, an opportunities uh, uh, which are available today and with the innovation which has been done in technological area actually got three different areas one is the uh, de- development of the online systems mm-hmm. uh, wireless systems and the communication systems and and also some of the uh, um, uh, mobility uh, which we has been uh, innovation in the mob- mo- mobility science. Just like the, the shrinking of like, you know, like computers, like so then you have right. everything on your phone. And everything is now packaged as the integrated mm-hmm. solutions, which is called the embedded system. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's called the embedded system. So with all that innovation, which has gone up uh, into the uh, making of all of those uh, different type of uh, component based solutions, I think there is a lot more opportunity for do, doing innovations. Mm-hmm. Like the one idea I was talking about for this arrow, um, uh, for this uh, packaging of the of the seat and uh, and uh, and and all the entertainment functions into you know was was not simply was simply based upon those ideas mm-hmm. as well because now we have the technology which can allow us to automatically capture all of those information and package it. So essentially, yeah. like. Like knowledge is so freely available now, like it's everywhere. And then like you can use that knowledge to like just you just combine it and like create something new out of it. Yeah, I agree. And and I think those knowledges was also published in literatures and, and some of them are in a prototype, some of them are in in a creatively developed some few solutions. So I think you can able to do more for less mm-hmm. now. Um, the only thing is that the all of those takes time and efforts and a lot of the people don't have that. Mm-hmm. That's the only limitation yeah. I would say. Is that? But otherwise, creating new solutions is probably feasible and will continue to be feasible. New system will continue to be developed, and old will be outpaced mm-hmm. or will be outdated, and uh, and that's the that's the uh, progress of the science is all about. So looking looking back, like what do you think you're most proud of in your life? Like what's your biggest accomplishment? Well, talking about my accomplishment, I think it depends upon which front line you want to concentrate mm-hmm. on. If you talk about academically, uh, my accomplishments is mostly the journal is one of them, mm-hmm. which is being was founded in. I was the one uh, founded it in 1991, 
and uh, and now it is still in production. Mm -hmm. That's the number academically. If you talk about uh, um, innovation side of it, I think the one I talked about uh, uh, for this um, um, uh, aeroplane packaging of the aeroplane seating arrangement mm -hmm. is is the one I would suggest, which is going to happen three mm -hmm. to five years down the road. So it still hasn't been, uh, but it's already been invented. Yeah. It has been invented. It has not been integrated, uh, integrated yeah. into the airline. Um, so that's the that's the other one I would say. As far as the um, other type of uh, uh, accomplishments, I, I feel like I have contributed a lot to the society. Uh, I'm I'm very um, open minded in terms of uh, what is good for the other people, and I'm interested is more uh, in providing community services and things like that. And I still uh, believe in that um, uh, that working with with uh, people and, and providing contributing to the society is one of the good things one can do. Mm -hmm. um, I have learned a lot from wherever I came from, what this country has given to me, and I want you to impart those um, contributions to my younger generations so that they could continue to do the same thing I have done.